We are in a series uh, called The Truth of the Matter. The truth of the matter is Jesus. He is the truth of the matter. And last week, uh, I taught a message entitled, We Need Jesus. If you missed that, uh, you can uh, download it on our podcast or you can just download our Embassy City app. Uh, But we are in uh, a series uh, that really wants to focus on how amazing Jesus is. Because the truth of the matter is, it's about Jesus. It's about this relationship that we have with Jesus and this commitment that we walk into uh, with him that allows us to have our lives transformed. Rome, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter number eight, starting at the first verse, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Uh, before I do, I, I want to uh, say to any theologians in the room, I understand uh, that uh, this uh, part of uh, John's narrative is not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. Actually, you find in most of your Bibles, it should be bracketed or there's a little uh, marker if you have a study Bible that from uh, John 7 uh, and 53, chapter 7 and verse 53 through uh, John 8 and 11, uh, that there, there uh, is, isn't this account in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, while uh, 200 of the earliest manuscripts uh, omit this narrative uh, over... Uh, a thousand of the manuscripts included. And every Bible that's been translated by every theologian and every scholar that is trying to uh, ensure that we have biblical accuracy uh, to the narrative of Jesus Christ, uh, there hasn't been one yet that completely omits this narrative. Uh, For that fact, and many others, I feel like Uh, It is credible enough for me to preach from it, but just in case somebody took a Bible class uh, and has some adverse reaction to uh, John chapter number 8, verses 1 through 11, I just wanted to let you know, I know, and I don't care. So uh, that's out there now, and we can talk after the service. (laughs) Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was again, back again at the temple. Crowds soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking in the middle of his sermon, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, he said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. They were using this woman as bait. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, which is permission to stone her. All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. So I want to teach uh, from the subject catch and release. (laughs) catch 
and release. Bow your heads. Let's pray over the word, shall we? Holy Spirit, thank you for catching us and releasing us. Amen. Uh, I have never preached John chapter number eight before, but uh, the Holy Spirit has just stirred this passage in me. And there's so much that I want to cover. I, I really don't know where to begin. Um, uh, the way my head works, sometimes I like to uh, bring in a story that, that uh, weaves into the narrative. But, but there's so much here, I just want to dive right into it. Uh, Jesus uh, has now uh, been in his earthly ministry affecting change in communities and in synagogues that he's been teaching in. People, not only through his miracles, are starting to believe, but because of the profound way that he taught the scriptures, people are starting to pay more attention to him and believe the words that are coming out of his mouth. What is interesting to me is that uh, in this narrative that we have before us, uh, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. There had been some heated debate between uh, him and the leaders of religious law and some of those uh, Pharisees, uh, because anytime you put religion and truth in the same room, there's going to be a conflict. Uh, in, anytime you put uh, rigidity and fluidity in a room, there is going to be problems. And the reason why the religious people had so many problems with Jesus is because uh, Jesus was a threat to the systems they had put in place. A, 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 a set of systems that were so uh, governed in black and white, that, that were so uh, uh, rigid that, that anyone that tried to come in uh, with a set, of, a set of circumstances that may have been in a gray area, they might have been incarcerated, disciplined, or in this case before us, threatened with death. Jesus, because he is relational, understands black and white, but understands that people live their lives out in shades of gray. That is a little bit more complicated <laughs> than what it might look like on paper. It's amazing to me how many people come to church uh, and they have certain issues that are going on in their life, and sometimes during a moment in altar ministry, people are very much afraid to open up their mouths and really share what's going on in their lives because they are deathly afraid of being judged. That if I share this with you, you may not look at me the same, you may judge me, I may not have relationship anymore, and so uh, I'm going to either edit the situation or I'm going to just outright lie when you ask me how I'm doing and say, I'm blessed. But relationship goes past the surface into the very being of who you are, looks you dead in the eye, and does not settle for surface. It wants your soul. Jesus is having this type of dialogue that is causing religious people much angst. Now, can you imagine, in the middle of a sermon, some people coming in while the man is preaching, teaching the word of God, and they're dragging a woman who they have caught in the act 
of adultery. So like not found out like two weeks later because of a text message or a Facebook post. Court documents show that that over 50 percent of all divorces have Facebook written in the documentation. Watch yourselves. They didn't they didn't gather some information and find out that this woman was involved in this situation. They caught her in the act. Where do you have to be to catch someone in the act of adultery? The implications alone creep me out. But they caught her. And what's interesting to me is that they didn't catch her by herself. That wouldn't be adultery. They caught her with the person, uh, but, but chose not to bring the, the other person with the woman during this accusation. It lets you know how corrupt religion really is. It will choose who it wants to punish and who it wants to let go. Based on political interests, based on what they think is best for the moment, these people caught this woman in the act of adultery, and it wasn't about punishing the man and the woman caught in the act of adultery. They used her to try to get Jesus to say something that would discredit his entire ministry. They bring this person to Jesus while he's teaching the scriptures. So whatever he was talking about, it probably had a verily, verily in it, okay? Probably had some truth that he was breaking down. And in the middle of that, they go, hey, Jesus, we have this woman here. She's caught in the act of adultery. Moses, the Mosaic law says that we should kill her. What do you say? Jesus stoops down and starts writing in the ground. There's been a lot of preachers for generations that have pontificated uh, through intellectualism and creative prowess uh, what Jesus might have written in the dirt. Here's the bottom line. We don't know. So if you are looking for me to take creative license to try to figure out what he wrote in the dirt, the Bible's not clear on it. I'm not about to make something up. The Bible says he wrote in the dirt. He wrote in the dirt. Okay. Let me move forward. Okay. He's writing in the dirt, and, and, and everyone's picking up stones. What is he going to say now? Mr. Relational Guy, this is black and white. She's caught in adultery. And, and scripture says in the Mosaic law, she's supposed to be stoned to death. So, so, so come on, come on, hurry up. Come on, I, how are you going to get out of this one? Because if, if you go the relational route, then you're going to condone her sin. And so are you going to tell everybody that adultery is okay? Let me see how your mercy works here, Jesus. Or, or are you going to go the other way and finally, finally side with the Mosaic law so that we can understand that you're really religious like us? Which one is it going to be, Jesus? Jesus is completely unbothered. 
writing in dirt. Everybody's picking up, they're taking off their garments, picking up rocks. This woman is piled in a heap of emotion, scared for her life. People are getting the rocks that, you know, tossing them up. This is good. I'm going to, yeah, let's get it. And, and Jesus goes, okay, got it. All right. And there's a comma there. All right. You're right. You, you can stone her. Get it. Mosaic law says it. You're absolutely right. But in whoever hasn't sinned, whoever hasn't sinned, you go first. <laughs> and, and I love how uh, uh, Jesus orders it up. I mean, uh, how the scripture orders it up from the oldest. Because maybe like an eight-year-old could have chunked it like, I haven't done anything yet. I'm, I'm innocent. But like the oldest first had to be like, you know what, actually, I'm going to have to just, okay. Scripture says from the oldest, they started dropping their rocks and backing up without going, well, wait a minute, don't try that. Because, you know, we, the day of atonement just passed, so all of our sins have been forgiven. No, no, no. Faced with the facts that he didn't have to elaborate on. By one statement, all of the accusers dropped their rocks and walked away. Leaving Jesus alone with the woman. Not completely alone, there was still a crowd around, but all the accusers had left. He looks at the woman, he says, um, who I probably hasn't looked up in, in 15, 20 minutes, however long this interaction lasted. She's just, <laughs> can you imagine being the woman? <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have. flirting I already knew that that was bad I shouldn't even <laughs> but I was just hurt <laughs> my spouse wasn't giving me any attention and <laughs> when you said hi it really made me feel good and so I just <laughs> I shouldn't be here right now no I shouldn't be here right now this is just crazy <laughs> has no idea the conversation that's going on over her head the only thing that she can see is the mistake in front of her the enemy loves to magnify our mistakes so large in front of us that we can't even see God's grace standing behind our mistake. And when the accusers come and the thoughts come of why you shouldn't be here this morning and why you don't deserve to be forgiven, God is standing right over your situation saying, yeah, wh whoever hasn't sinned, knock yourself out. In this case, knock her out. They wouldn't do it. Jesus looks down at the woman and says, um, hey, where are your accusers? And she, <laughs> she just sees a pile of rocks right over here. 
Hey, has anybody accused you? Um, um, no. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. And it's over. So there's three points that I want you to take away from this message, okay? Point number one, write this down. Some of you are, there's going to be a, a religious twinge when I say this. Uh, just prepare thyself. Jesus doesn't care. Point number one, Jesus doesn't care. John 8 and 11, neither do I. I want you to go to uh, John chapter number three, verses 16 through 21. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the, more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Biggest misconception is that Jesus came into the world to judge it. No, he came into the world to save it. It's already been judged. The judgment comes by those who do not believe in Jesus, not because Jesus is saying, I'm judging you, you're now condemned for not believing in me. God set the order. Jesus is following through with it. He doesn't come to judge, and so Jesus doesn't care. Now, this is a, 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 a statement that people have a hard time putting their mind around because, uh, no, no, he has to care because sin is bad. And yes, sin is bad, but we were born in its grip. So if we were born in his grip, why would he be judging and condemning us for something we were born into? We were caught in it. And his purpose and plan is to release us. I woke the baby up. <laughs> we were caught from birth the same way this woman was caught in the act. And so we didn't need somebody to catch us and judge us. We needed somebody to release us from what we were caught by. Jesus's mandate is to come into relationship with us so that that we have been caught by through a relationship with him, we can be released from. So he doesn't care. I love when I get the opportunity to have people come into my office for a counseling session. 
because sometimes uh, if it's the first counseling session, uh, we'll get uh, about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of pleasantries. Uh, hey, how are you doing and where are you from and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then there's another maybe 20 minutes of misdirection. Well, 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 hey, why did you want to meet today? Well, oh, man, oh, shoot. Uh, you know, man, everybody got problems, right? Everybody got problems, so got problem. And, you know, man, oh, it's just tough to say. Man, I'm here now, but, oh, just tough thing to say. You know, don't want to even say it because, man, it's embarrassing. And, oh, man, okay. Are you ready, though? Are you ready? Are you ready for what I have to tell you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm it was on my calendar to meet with you. I'm ready. And uh, 35 minutes is already burned, so you got 25 minutes left. Because uh, there's somebody else coming. Uh, well, oh, man. Ah, oh, shoot. Do I got to tell you everything, though? Like, do I have to say, uh, do you want me to, like, say everything? Or, do, like, how much, uh, how much can you take? So, so, so like, there's this big buildup, and, and they finally say it. And I love the expression that they have from my expression. They like drop the bomb. Here's what it is, blah. And I'm like, well, all right. Okay. D did you hear what I just told you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Isn't that ridiculous, isn't that disgusting? Do, do, I mean, do, it, Man, I've been struggling with this, and how come you look so calm? Because I don't care. I don't care what you've done. I, 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 I don't care what you've been through, because I know a man. Who could care less what you've been through? He just wants to establish a relationship with you. So you never have to go through it again. That's the relationship that I want to introduce you to. Neither do I. The boldest statement you can make, and it's backed up by the testament of Jesus, saying that I didn't come into the world to judge it. I came into the world to save it. The gospel in this moment with this adulterous woman, which is a type and shadow of the church, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that, that any time uh, uh, we have an affection for something other than God, is spiritual adultery. The reason why I can't ignore this scripture, no matter if it's found in the earliest manuscripts or not, is because this story is about us. And the fact that we should have been stoned, not with the religiosity of men, but with the holiness of God. That he should have taken the chief cornerstone and threw him at us in judgment instead of justification. And he chose to do the latter. Point number two, write this down. Jesus does care. <laughs> See, saved you. Jesus does care. 
Well, you just said he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, I know. And he does it. But he does as well. And how do I know he does care? Romans 8 and 11, the second part of it. Go and sin no more. <laughs> I want you to look at uh, John chapter number 5, verse number 14. Many of you may remember this uh, passage that Jesus goes uh, to the pool of Bethesda uh, and there were many sick people there. And there was one man that was infirm for 38 years. Jesus asked him if he would like to get well. The man responds with a sob story saying, I don't have anybody put me in the water. OK. And uh, Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. OK. He's rejoicing. He's healed. He's happy. He finds him later on. Uh, after the religious people want to know uh, uh, who healed you, Jesus says this in verse number 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Hey, listen to me. Jesus doesn't care what you've been through. He's ready to save you from whatever you've been caught by. But trust and believe he does care how you live after he's caught you. Jesus does not bring us out of bondage so that we can walk back into bondage because we know he'll take us out of bondage. This is not the back of the shampoo bottle. This is not something you want to uh, wash, rinse, and repeat your life with over and over again, continuing to have in your mind, well, it doesn't matter what I do because Jesus would just forgive me. He doesn't care what I'm going through because he'll just forgive me. Yes, yes, he, he has forgiven you. But, but, but how many times do you want him to do it before you realize this is dangerous? Jesus does care. Hey, uh, I would rather you not do that no more unless something else worse happens to you. Here's what he tells the woman. Look, I don't care. I'm not going to condemn you. They didn't condemn you. Neither do I. But uh, like I might not be at this church service again for a couple of weeks because I'm, I'm moving all around Galilee. Um, and then, you know, my ultimate uh, sacrifice is to die on the cross. You, you might not want to get caught in adultery again because I might not be here. So, <laughs> this time you had the rock stand in front of you. The next time you may have rocks piled on top of you. How about you don't do this again? It's amazing that... Uh, Michael Exum got up and shared uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We, we haven't talked. He didn't know what I was teaching on this morning. But the temptations of this life always try to pull us back into the things that God has extravagantly liberated us from. And we have the choice to rely on God's Holy Spirit to empower us to resist temptation or to continue to use as an excuse, well, this is just the way I am. And God knows my heart. The 
most ridiculous statement I've ever heard anybody say to justify sinful behavior is God knows my heart. Of course he does. That's why he sent Jesus. Because he knows our hearts are corrupt. He does care. Point number three, write this down. We should care less and care more. We should care less and care more. John chapter number 12, verse 25 says this. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. It's so good. We should care less about this life and all the stuff that has to do with this life. All of it is temporal. If you have a lot of money, yay. If you don't have a lot of money, hey. It's amazing how we can get so focused on temporal things that we forget the magnitude of the eternal things. We are in a you only live once society. I'm going to do what's best for me. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I'm going to do what is in the best interest of, of, of me. And the truth of the matter is that we should care less about any of this stuff, especially our past. The enemy would love to plague you with thoughts about your past, the things that you've done, the things that you've said, the relationships that didn't go right, the, the opportunities that were missed, the mistakes that you've made. And Jesus cares less about them. We should, too. But we should also care more. We should care more about our relationship with Jesus that brings us closer into uh, uh, proximity with him until we look like him. A true relationship with Jesus Christ leaves us less looking like ourselves and more looking like him until people, without you getting a facelift and without you getting your eyebrows done and without you getting a haircut and without you growing facial hair or shaving facial hair, look at you and go, who are you? Because I know you and you do not act like that. That, that is not the person that I've, that, that I've always known. No, because something's transforming me from the inside out. I can't stay the same. And I could care less about the things that you know about me from the past, my nickname, the things you knew, what we did in high school, and I care more now about the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ and what he's called me to do with my life. Because I was a stone's throw from death. and looked around, and there was a pile of stones that were marked for my demise, and God piled them up for my deliverance. When I stand up, 
and walk away. I'm deactivating my Facebook account. I'm talking about this woman. I'm changing my phone number. If the guy shows up to my house, if I don't slap him first or spit in his face, I'll let him know that I've met a man. And the relationship that I just went into with this man has satisfied me in a way you never could. I'm going home and I'm placing all my faith in that man because I was caught, but he released me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? I had so much anticipation to preach this because I really do feel like there's some, there's some people in here that, that you just got caught up. It doesn't have to be adultery. It could, it could be a, a habit. It could be a, a certain attitude. It could be a posture of your heart. Get caught up in pride. You get caught up in self-dependence. I don't need anybody. I, I, I got this. He came to release us. And if you're caught in something this morning, I want you to know he'll release you. Let me tell you what's better than getting dragged into the presence of God, accused of a sin, is when we, by our own choice, walk into the presence of God and confess our sins. In a moment, we're going to pray. Our altar ministry team is here. During this time, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to ask everybody to stand at that time, but we're going to sing one more song. And if you need prayer for any reason, we want you to come. May I remind you that no one up here will be shocked by what you say you're caught in. We simply want to see you released. And so please do not allow pride, do not allow shame, guilt, Stop you from walking into his presence and confessing. If you need to give your life to Jesus, because you've just been made aware in this moment, you know what, I'm just caught in sin. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never confessed him as Lord and Savior of my life. We would love to see you come. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet?